Eternal Dirtles is a Hipsters of the Coast podcast sponsored by Paragon City Games of Draper, Utah. You can also find us on Patreon and support us directly at patreon.com slash dirtles. Hello and welcome to Eternal Dirtles. I'm your host, Nathan Golia. Zach is out again. He is on his way back from Gen Con, I think, at this point. Or he's gone forever. He's gone forever. Gone forever. He went to Indianapolis and never came back. So many of us have. Phil Blackman is our co my co host. Oh wow. Co hosting Phil Blackman. Yo, we got a the do you, do you want to tell everybody the name of this episode? Yeah. So I was on my plane coming back. I was just in New York, so Phil and I got to play in the same tournament, which was what we'll talk about. Um, and that's not why I went to New York, but I was able to do it, which was really great. Um, good to see some of the people and get back to the geekery again. But anyway, I'm on my flight back, and it's getting delayed for like no real good reason. There was some administrative issues and some load balancing in the cargo bay. We took off about an hour and a half late, and right before we took off, the uh, the gate agent comes in to close out the flight and talks to the pilot, and she says, it's like this flight was doomed from the start. And we haven't even taken off, so if it's doomed, you know, I'd like to know while we're still on the ground. But yeah, that's yes. also like, th there has to be code language for that. Like, you can't say that within earshot of passengers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was in the front row because I'm a Delta, you know, medallion holder, and I get free upgrades. I got upgraded to the front row, and that was great, but... Boy, and you're in the front row, and you get to hear how all the sausage is made. So, in a way, we're gonna call we're gonna call this cast. It's like this cast was doomed from the start, um, as sort of a tongue-in-cheek reference. To that, and, but we also actually have we have we have we have on theme things to mention, right? Which is great. On theme things to mention. So, as I was walking to this tournament this past weekend, uh, I'm walking to the geekery, and it starts to downpour. Like, and I don't mean like light drizzle i mean like i'm soaked within like two minutes so i get to geekery because i'm too far to go back now and still make it to the tournament on time so yeah i get to geekery and i'm soaked and i'm like hey kev kevin who's running the event i'm like dude i need somebody's got to have spare pants and he's like what <laughs> and i'm like dude my pants are soaked and i cannot play six hours in wet jeans and he's like, uh, I don't know. We'll, uh, I'll ask people. I was like, okay, great. And then Nate for a second was like, hey, I might have some extra pants because I brought my bag with me. I was like, wow, what what a, a turn of events. I thought I was just going to be playing with my pants off. And here he is offering me shorts. I was like, this is great. Everything's coming up roses. I'm going to win this event today in somebody else's shorts. And then I realized that I had worked out that morning in the shorts. So you probably didn't want to wear them. <laughs> so I didn't wear them. So what I ultimately had to do was I ended up playing the entire event in my boxers because I had to let my pants dry. So luckily, when you're sitting down at a table, you're only seeing somebody from the torso up. But let it be known that it was a party down below. Yeah. Phil was playing the tournament with no pants on, and I might as well have been playing the tournament with no pants on because I did not bring a deck that I thought was, you know, fully optimized because I didn't want to carry all of my most expensive cards across the country. So, yeah, which I think is totally reasonable. And it's not like you're—I mean, you just played like a solid Maverick deck. Like you did carry your Gaia's Cradle across the way. I brought my Gaia's Cradle. I also was testing a Blue Splash, so I brought my two most beat-up Tropical Islands. <laughs> just in case something horrible happened. But I tested the Blue Splash and Maverick that that week on Magic Online. Just did not 
do what I was hoping. I was hoping yeah. to spell. I was really hoping to get people with spell queller, and it didn't work out. So luckily, I just had enough cards to just switch it to a green white build. Um, and you know, it was fine. And we'll talk about it in a second. I just want to mention another card though that in the blue splash that I thought was really great, which was Moreland Haunt. Um, I will say that I was like really considering just playing a trop and playing the Moreland Haunt because grinding out with you've got like 30 creatures in your deck. They go to the graveyard for whatever reason, mostly because people kill them. And then you just turn that into like spirits that fly and they can harass planeswalkers and carry equipment. It actually was really good. I just can't figure out another way to pay off the blue splash. So we'll work on it. Uh, I mean, like, turns out that in the grinding matchups, Lingering Souls is really good and Moorland Haunt is just a variant of that. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, that's all it is, but it's it was great. And, you know, the thing is, I've always liked that card, but it's hard to have enough creatures to make it worth it. Like, if you're playing it, it's a blue card. I mean, it's white and a blue to activate, exile a creature from your graveyard, and you make a spirit. So you're, you're playing a blue deck, but most blue decks are not playing 24 to 28 creatures. So I will say it showed up in the Pro Tour. We'll talk about those decks too, but... Um, yeah, there was actually a lot more spice at the Pro Tour than I was anticipating. I mean, granted, there was also like a ton of the decks that we were expecting, like a bunch of Chalice decks, a bunch of sh uh, Sneak and Show decks, um, just like the free win style decks, like a bunch of Reanimator. Those are the decks that I expected to show up at the PT. Uh, just thinking that nobody was going to want to test the legacy and people would just want to get the free wins because you're incentivized to do that in team formats. Uh, but then we looked at when they did the decklist dump, there was a ton of uh, like brews. There was a ton of spice. Yeah, I mean, and I was surprised at how stuff, yeah. a lot of Grixis control too. Like that, that, like miracles, like was sprinkled throughout. But like it seems like the the mid range controlly deck that people are gravitating towards now is just straight up. 4x Baleful Strix, uh, Grixis Control. Boy, if only someone had said that on the internet was going to happen. Anyway, um, that was me, by the way. I said that all the time. Like, you're not getting better than that. Um, called it. <laughs> I don't want to brag, but I called it. Um, no, well, very little merit Lage decks. Like, there were some, but very few. Yeah, I think people were expecting a lot of D&T and a lot of uh, other white decks, which is not your merit Lage. I think there were a decent amount of it. I, we'll get into it later. I do want to uh, make a correction that I did not see Moreland Haunt in the Pro Tour. That was actually in a deck list dump for Magic Online. But it is a cool card. Um, I want to jump into this tournament that we were in uh, because we, we played Legacy and it was, I thought, a lot of fun. Um, I'm going to go first because my tournament report will be shorter than yours or less interesting, I think. Um, and just to say, I played a green-white Maverick deck. Um, I... It was pre-stock. The you know, only thing is I only have three Knights of the Reliquary because I always forget to buy a fourth. And so I just, but I threw in an extra Kasali Pride Mage because you had me convinced, Phil, that I was going to see nothing but Chalice decks all day. And while Chalice isn't lights out for Maverick, um, you know, got four Mom, four Swords of Plowshares, four Noble Hierarch. Kind of want to, you know, make sure you can cast those, right? So I threw in an extra Kasali Pride Mage uh, in my extra Knight slot, but I had a lot of your regular Maverick cards, uh, with a full four Thalias, as I mentioned. I had a Ramanop Excavator, Scavenging Ooze, um, Tireless Tracker, and I had a Sigarda Host of Herons as my sort of big splashy. And card. I saw all of it. I saw all of them. That day. <laughs> you did see all of it. And uh, I had a Gaia's Cradle, but that was it. I didn't play Dark Depths or anything like that. But it was it was uh, it was solid. So round one, I played against Grixis Delver, and uh, my opponent. Uh, I was actually t chatting with him. 
his name is Adam, um, before the tournament, and he was saying he was coming back to Legacy after several years off. He was happy that there had been some bannings and some shakeups. So naturally, he was playing Grixis Delver, <laughs> which I thought was interesting. Like, you know, I didn't want—I didn't play for a while because I didn't think it was that interesting. But I'm just playing the deck that was going on that whole time. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, he was a little rusty. I don't know if that was the reason why, or if I just kind of mavericked him out. I think I won the die roll and had like a, you know, mana dork into like a wasteland and something he had to counter. So, pretty good start in game one. Game two, um, again, just was able was able to stay ahead of things. Had source of plowshares at the right time for Gurmag Angler and stuff like that. So, um. Fairly non-eventful win. Round two, I played against Phil Blackman. We're going to talk about that later. <laughs> I want to save that to the end, right? Sounds good. That's the main event. That's the main event, yeah. Uh, which I lost. Uh, it's a little bit of a... Wow, uh, dude. Spoilers. Spoiler alert, yeah. But, spoilers, yeah. But, but, but that, we'll pay that off. Uh, round three... It was a good I, match. It was really good It match. was really good, yeah. Uh, round three, I played the Maverick Mirror. <laughs> um, Ooh. Green-white Maverick Mirror. Um, his... What what are the things that matter in that? Is it just whoever like gets the bigger knight first? Well, in this case, it was I had Stoneforge and he didn't. Um, so I actually played a turn two Stoneforge for Jite that he could not break up, and that just took the game over in game one. Oh yeah, Jite is the thing that matters. That makes sense. I think in game two, uh, I think in game two he might have mulliganed. Um, but yeah, so I so now I've won. I've two and owed and zero and two because it was an O two match against Phil, but it was really close. And we played what for forty five minutes, so. We also played, like, our, our match was an example of, like, you have to know your deck and play fast. Because, like, we were moving at, like, an insane pace and still only made it through two games. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Anyway, we'll get back to that. Round four was Sneak and Show. Uh, I had in my op- – I knew he was playing Sneak and Show because I had seen him playing next to me in the previous round. So I kept a hand ahead knight uh, and a forest in case he like show and tell in a legend. Instead, he show and tell in an omniscience, which I could not beat. Uh, and then in game two, I kept a hand with crossing grip in case he show and tell in omniscience and he show and tell in grizzlebrand, and I lost. So, so now I've won four games and lost four games. I'm two and two. Uh, going to the last round, I was pretty sure that if I won my last round, I could make top eight because of how the breakers looked. Um. I was the top ranked number. I was a top ranked player with two wins, and I was being paired up. Uh, that last round was against Blue White Tempo. Now this is a deck that has had a little bit of history. It's got Fathom. What is that? So it's got it's like a blue white Aether Vile deck with Weathered Wayfarer and Fathom Seer. Oh, he went old school. That's so fucking dope. Yeah. Yo, that, deck that, deck, is so that deck cool. back then. That's like a twenty that's like a twenty ten throwback. Yeah. Fathom Seer and and uh Weathered Wayfarer is awesome. So if anybody doesn't know what Fathom Seer is, it's a one three for one in a blue, but it has morph. Uh obviously for just three generic mana. And then you can unmorph it by gushing. Yes. Um right. And so the trick is you you play Fathom Seer, you gush and then you use your weathered wayfarers now that you're down lands versus your opponent to like tutor up wastelands and just like cons- like use it as like a wasteland engine. Yes, uh, it, it, it's very interesting how similar his deck is to Maverick, but with a white with it's white and blue instead of white and green. Yeah, um, and that and, it's, and then obviously you're you're gushing lands back, so like Aether yeah. Vial becomes your another he, yeah. means of mana. He's got a but bio. it's like you can tutor up you can tutor up ports, you can tutor up wastelands, you can you're essentially you're using weathered wayfarer as like a cheaper knight of the reliquary. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it, and it and it's a cool deck. Um, 
we both had mom. We both had a set of moms, which is great for combat math. We both had Stoneforge Mystics. I mean, there was a lot of similar cards, but the play patterns were a little different. You know, I, I kind of watched out. For, I don't know if he plays Days. Uh, I kind of played around a little bit. Um, he had Brainstorm, which is a nice engine. But basically, I win the die roll. And then in game one, we played a really long game one. This was this was like, you know, we're it's a win and in. We're playing the whole games, right? Also, if if he was on that, uh, if he's on Fathom Wayfarer deck, then that deck auto plays for Tundra, because you need your planes to also be islands so yep. you can gush them. So like, I would absolutely be playing around days because Weathered Wayfarer incentivizes that. Yeah, right, exactly. So I played around days. I don't know if I saw it. I might have seen a force. Um, but anyway, the game the game one was I won the die roll and I knew what he was playing too because I was like, oh, that deck is so cool. I should have played that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway. Not only is that cool, but he also messes with like other people's wastelands because he can just do shenanigans with them. Yeah, there's all sorts of. Yeah, it's it's a deck that I really had. I was I was only very passingly familiar with it because I haven't seen it in so long, um, if ever. I don't think I don't know if I've ever played against. I've only just read about it. But... Straight up like 2010, like throwback. Yeah. So anyway, so I have like a board that's double mom, uh, Stoneforge Mystic, and uh, Scrib Ranger. And I have a Scrib Ranger with a Sword of Fire and Ice on it. And I've got Double Mom, and it's it's, the, it's a very complex board state. So that's my board. His board, he plays a Stoneforge Mystic. He's got uh, a, one Mother of Runes, and I forget what the other card was. It was possible it was a Sarah, a Sarah Avenger. So he's tutoring with his Stoneforge Mystic, and I have two moms, and he has one mom. And I see him. He's going through his deck, and he pauses on his Jite, and then he stops... And in my head, I go, he's not going to get the GTA because I have double mom, and he only has a single mom, So I, and I can untap my Scrib Ranger and block the uh, Sarah Avenger, so I wonder what he's going to get instead. He had main board Sword of Light and Shadow. <laughs> Got you. So, he tutors up the Sword of Light and Shadow, plays it, and attaches it. I'm like, I'm taking, I'm going to be taking hits off this, because I cannot, I cannot, because um, he could give his guy protection from green. Um, so I can't block right, him and, then, yeah. and obviously I can't block a flyer anyway with mom, but I, even if I had a flying white creature. So I take a hit off of it, and then I give I give him a hit, because uh, he can't block um, my Scrib Ranger. So we're kind of trading Wait. sword hits. Were you able to kill his mom off the... Yeah, I killed his mom with the with the sword, yeah. Yeah, but it didn't matter. Um... I just want to say like, that that sentence in a in a vacuum is is pretty harsh. Yeah. I was also, it's funny because we both have moms and it's like, I, I always, my favorite thing about Legacy is that you explain that this format's so powerful and like in the lore you've got, of magic, you just have dragons and all sorts of crazy spells, but this old lady sipping tea is like one of the scariest cards you can ever see. Oh yeah, dude. It's just like, you're just like, oh man, yeah, so I played against a dude and he uh, played both mom and Bob and I was like, what am I supposed to do? Yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, but what, what what ended up happening was that on that turn anyway, I drew my Kasali Pride Mage and killed his Sword of Fire Nice or Sword of uh, Light and Shadow rather. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then I so that actually that extra Pride Mage is paying off. Yeah, the extra Pride Mage really paid off because I had to kill a Batter Skull earlier in the game. So I Zenith for two. He gets the Batter Skull with the first Stone Forge, uh, which I and I Zenith for two and I get the Pride Mage. He plays the Batter Skull into it. I kill it because he knows that's going to happen. Then his second Stone Forge gets a Sword of Light and Shadow. And I play Zenith for two, which he forces, but then I rip the Pride Mage anyway, because I'm super lucky. And that's what happened. Uh, so I, I managed to take that game away with my second Pride Mage um, being close to the top of my deck. Dude, I also know what the blue splash should be for next time you play that deck. Trigon Predator? Tamio Fieldwork Researcher, uh, dude, come on. I did have a Trigon Predator in my deck, but it wouldn't have helped. 
Um, well, I guess give it a protection from light. Um, anyway, so game two, now he's on the play, and he gets a vial, and it's just, he just, it, it's not, I'm, I can never keep up. I could not keep up with the vial and wasteland and port and stuff, so didn't work out. Game three, I'm on the play again. I keep a hand with, like, turn one Savannah into Dry, uh, Savannah, Green Sun, Zenith, Dryad Arbor, and I'm sort of like, please don't naked wasteland me off white, because the rest of my hand was white, but I didn't think I could throw back that hand. It was Wasteland, Savannah, Green Sun Zenith, um, and then like a bunch of white creatures that I wanted, like Mom and stuff. But I had to ramp on the t on the first turn um, because I couldn't cast the Green Sun Zenith on the second turn. If if I like play Mom and he wastelands me, I'm in trouble uh, because I have no white mana or green mana at that point. <laughs> um, so right, I, right, I, right. I ramped the first turn, even though the Dried Arbor can't really cast anything. But it, unfortunately for him. Um, so I do that. He goes Wasteland Vile. I, I, oh, my other card was Cross and Grip. I had drawn a Cross, I had Cross and Grip opener, so I kept it because I knew there was equipment. Um, I played the Wasteland. I Cross and Gripped his Vile, and then he didn't draw a second land. I ended up attacking like three times with a, with a big knight. So th that didn't go very well, but it was a really fun, really cool matchup. Um, and I'm like, all right, sweet. I won my, what I think is a winning in. And of course, so the way it was set up, and I'm not really mad, it's kind of funny. Uh, the, I thought that all the players who had three wins had to play because of how the tiebreakers were going to work out. And I think two of them just drew, and they're like, we'll see what happens. And it worked out. Oh, well. that's a mistake. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So they basically, because I know that Adam, my first round opponent, played. That was a nine-point player because he rattled off four wins in a row after losing to me. So congratulations to him um, for being that he was end up being the top seed in top eight. So I know he played because he had 12 points. And the other yeah, he was on he was on Rug Delver, right? No, he's on Grixis Delver. He's on Grixis yeah. Delver, okay. Um, and uh, so whatever, I didn't make top eight. It was fine. And I watched your top eight match, which I will let you get to. Um, yeah. But first, which uh, like it was a, there was a really unique interaction that I think uh, a bunch of you listening out there will maybe have encountered before. But I in, in all my time, I played against Sneak and Show in the quarters, and in all of my matches i've ever played against sneak and show this particular interaction had never come up for me uh and so it was really interesting we'll get into it let's do it this way let's first talk about your deck then talk about all of your matches except the one that was against me uh and yeah. we'll talk about your sneak and show interaction and then you and me can talk about our match together sounds good uh i, I will say like uh from the get-go that our match was the most interesting match on the day uh just because it was like the most back and forth uh i i played a uh a, a, a Blue white mentor based deck. I was trying to. I've been trying to recreate Esper Mentor since the bans. Um, and what I found was uh, when I like just tried to sub in cards in the place of Death Threat and Probe. So I like moved away from Cabal Therapy and towards Thoughtseize. Uh, I moved towards uh, like a couple more Strix. Um, I've been like trying different things that are essentially in the colors. And I realized in that deck that although Thoughtseize is very good, and I think Thoughtseize is one of the better cards right now, um, I thought Thoughtseize is horrible in the Mentor deck. Like, you need a high volume of spells, and it, it, it amplified for me when I first started piecing together another version of the deck that Cabal Therapy, just being a card that you can flash back for free is why Mentor, Esper Mentor was so good in the first place. So losing that element of the deck uh, 
was really punishing. And I was trying to think if there were other cards that I could play alongside Cabal Therapy, because the only real draws to black were some board cards and Cabal Therapy. Uh, and then, obviously, Death Rite before the ban. Right. So now that Death Rite's gone, the only incentive to go into black really is you get Cabal Therapy, and then you want some number of creatures to be able to pair with Cabal Therapy, so you kind of get to free roll Strix as just like, you know, this thing to play in the early game, but it's not really like part of your game plan. It's kind of just a role a role player. Uh, so after playing a couple of rounds and trying to put the deck together, I realized that you don't don't really want you don't really need the black. Like you're making your mana base a lot worse. The payoffs for black aren't really there because you lost your mana accelerant. The board cards are like replaceable with like other white cards that can do similar things. Yep. Um, like I lost like my Liliana's in the board and stuff like that, but you can just play like other walkers if you want another element of attack. So I moved over and I just played a straight blue white mentor deck. But what I found was one of the most interesting conversations I had a long time ago with the fastest miracles player alive named Sam Rukas, mm -hmm. uh, when he was like first teaching me miracles and like how to like where the idea for the deck came about and like the cards that I should look at if I'm trying to, uh, figure that like change the deck up a little bit was he was saying when you had when terminus came out and people realized how powerful terminus was so you wanted to play with terminus therefore you wanted top therefore you wanted counterbalance and so it's not like you started anywhere else you were like i want this card therefore i want this card therefore i want that card and that's your shell so i was trying to think in a similar axis where i'm like okay i'm playing mentor therefore i want free spells so I need a free spell because you can't just play Mentor naked on turn three and hope to untap. That's just It's never going to work out for you. So it's like I need something that's going to cash in similar to Probe but not put me down card parity. Like I can't be playing like Surgical's main or Gutshot main. So I'm like looking for free spells and I come across Mishra's Bobble. And I'm like, oh, maybe there's something interesting here. So I'm like, okay, I want Mentor. Therefore, I want Mishra's Bobble. I'm like, what's going to pair well with Mishra's Bobble to make sure that I have... I can pay off like this deck's velocity, and I look at Predict, and so I'm like, oh man, Mishra's Bobble enables Predict as a turn two play, or I can just play Bobbles for free after a turn three Mentor. This is starting to come together. So I look at the shell. I really like the shell. So I played a 4x Mentor, 4x Bobble, 4x Predict deck, and then filled it out with like the other good blue-white cards and called it a day. Yeah. And I was really happy with the deck, and some of the Started with I started with Stoneforge Mystic and I hated it. Uh, you it, like it, it goes back to like the old times where we discussed Mentor and Stoneforge in the same deck and I'm like they want different things and you end up being just a worse Stoneforge deck than every other Stoneforge deck. It's not a it's uh, not a spell and it doesn't put. I guess that the the equipment does trigger, but yeah. The equipment does trigger, but like the equipment is clunky. Yeah. <laughs> you never want to draw the equipment and Stoneforge even if it is a turn two play and it draws the removal it just strands an equipment into your hand. And a lot of times, like, they're, you're doing, like, they just don't follow the same play patterns, yeah. right? Like, one is trying to, like, go wide and play a bunch of spells, and one is trying to, like, just, you know, protect the queen-style disruption plays. And it, 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 I don't know, it, like, it didn't, it never felt good. So I cut those six slots, and I added in things that the other deck was exploiting. So I added a couple of back-to-basics. I moved into um, more counterbalances to enable these predicts even better. And so I played like a classic blue-white deck that just happens to have this new mentor shell, and it was great. And uh, back to basics was an all-star. Uh, what I found was people still actively played around terminus really aggressively, and so 
uh, at a certain point, like my Supreme verdicts that I, I was playing a couple of Supreme verdicts and they were amazing all day. Like the two cards I was most impressed with, aside from Mentor, obviously, like the, the, the shell itself, was Back to Basics and Supreme Verdict. Like those cards were absolute uh, houses and uncounterable spells are just the stupidest thing that's ever happened. Um, yeah, well, we'll talk Supreme Verdict. <laughs> well, there was a couple of things. We, I, I don't want to wait until we talk about our match, but a couple of things. One, I looked at your deck, so I knew you didn't have Terminus, so I played right into it, uh, yeah. which, which is... You know, no, yeah, no, but I'm saying that like no, people who didn't know that I wasn't playing Terminus still played around it. So, like, it kind of gave me an avenue where, like, my mentor would just be able to get ahead of them. And then there were times where, even if they weren't playing around it, they would just get punished by Supreme Verdict. So, like, it, it worked out where, it, like, either way, it was good for me, even though I wasn't actually playing any Terminus in this event. Right. And the reason I'm the reason I mentioned was like, I played right into Terminus, but I also played. I also was like terrified of the back to basics, which I don't think I saw in our match. But yeah, back to basics was uh, well, just the fact that you could play it and you built your deck around it was a real big differentiator. I thought the amount of basic lands you're able to play was great. Um, back to basics was an absolute all star. Like I, that card was so good. The thing that's interesting, I think, well, why I thought your deck was good. Um, when I, I I agree with you completely about the Esper shell, I think the reason we're not seeing it. We're seeing a little bit of it before people start, you know, writing us letters. But like, it's not like we, we people kind of thought. I thought that like, Deathrite's ban, Probe's ban, this deck changes. Esper Stoneblade's gonna come back in, and the clunkiness of the mana base is really a problem. Like, you're just so open to the Stifle Wasteland decks because you have turn one plays in all three colors, and none of them put anything on the board, right? Like you can. Thoughtseize or Swords Plash is their guy or Cast a Ponder, but you're just sitting there with a land in play. And if you're on the draw, especially, those are not. I mean, you sometimes you have to Swords of Plowshares, but you know, you can just get Wasteland yeah. and they play, they can just get Wasteland and then you're just, you could be in real big trouble. Um, and I, I mean, I was looking at, I was trying to think, I was like, what are other black cards that are reasonable to play? Um, and so I was looking at things like Painful Truths and then I like found that. Uh, modern deck that was playing four of that uh, three one that you can exert to become a four four life linker, and I was like, oh, maybe there's something with that guy, and then you can leverage the life gain, and then also play these like you know, you you have your tap out three drops that are just like really powerful engines, and I was just like, man, all the all the there are no good white two drops outside of Stoneforge Mystic, and so like nothing was better than. Uh, Baleful Strix, and then I'm like, Baleful Strix just puts so much pressure on your mana when your removal of choices source to plowshares. And there's just no reason, if you're playing white, like, well, I'm not going to play like four push and two plow. Like, the, the I know, whole point that's, of that's right, yeah. exactly, because that was the other thing. It's like, you could just play more push, but then, like, push is not a card that people are that worried about. Source of plowshares is the card people are worried about, right? And also, if I'm, if I'm looking to, like, I'm, I'm playing white because source to plowshares is so good. Like, if I was just going to be on you know, pushes and not the fact that Plow is the best removal. Like, I'll just play Grixis, Yeah. you know? Um, the other thing, uh, well, first of all, Lingering Souls, I think, is a good is a good card in the Mentor deck because it's two spells and it, and it plays well with the go-wide plan. Um, but, you know, it's another three-drop. We could, we'll talk about it some other time, probably. But, um, but yeah, anyway, I thought your deck, uh, the way it worked out, was really nice for the tournament. It was definitely very good in how it lined up against my deck. Um, but why don't you uh, talk about your other rounds first, and then we'll uh, we'll talk about our match. Yeah, there was, uh, I'll just point one more uh, deck that I was uh, trying to put together, but I couldn't figure out the numbers, was looking at a Thought Scour-powered Esper Mentor deck, 
uh, with lingering souls with cabal therapy. And then you can also get some Gurmags in there because thought scour is a good enabler for all of that yep. stuff. Um, so I was looking at that, but it's like just trying to figure out how you can maintain the consistency of that was a problem. And I didn't want to take that into an event, but playing I was like looking at that too. Playing thought scour and legacy is not fun. Like, you know what I mean? Like, unless your deck is like it's super like, all in on it, but it's like, why am I doing I mean, this? I like that it can clear away, it can like clear away ponders and brainstorms. Like that's kind of nice. Um, but yeah, it's like that the, 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 the thought scours are pretty high variance for that format, even though you can enable that you can play enablers with it um yeah or like payoffs with it as an enabler and it's, and it's hard but if you anyway. like mill over lands you're looking for lands too but yeah you're right right well, yeah. yeah and it's like you can't mill your opponent because you can't like feed their delve you know it's yeah um but round one i played against lands uh and back to basics both time kind of just closed that out uh i played a counterbalance and he just always had to be like he immediately had to fight over the counterbalance because you know, you play a counterbalance and just leave a two on top and they just can never actually win the game. Um, so he had to fight over the counterbalance and then uh, by doing so, he just opened himself up to getting back to basics. Um, so I did that. All your I did that both games and you could just never get there. All your basics are, What's up? All your basics are great against their mana denial plan. The basics are great against the mana denial and then even when he makes a merit lage, you just plow it and then uh, when you have back to basics, it's like really hard for them to rebuild when you just like locked them out. Uh, so them trying to like rebuild means that with only like one forest in their deck, by game two I just like pushed all of my disenchants and stuff like that on their uh, diamonds, their mox diamonds, knowing that the plan was going to be back to basics, and and that's just how it played out. It was like pretty ABC. Tabernacle could be kind of a pain, but honestly, um, you can beat it. You can beat a tabernacle with. Jace yeah, well, it's like if they if they have a tabernacle at that point, like you just spend enough tokens and then you just put them on like a two or three turn clock. Yeah, right. You know, and that's still good enough. And it's like, whatever, I'll let this mount die because I know I'm going to cast this many spells this turn, hit you for what, like however much that is, and then pass the turn. And you're still not going to be able to do anything because you can't combo off with this back to basics on the table. And then also you're not going to have like a wrath to... You're not going to be able to like do punishing fire shenanigans or whatever, you know? Um, so that was pretty ABC. Uh, game two was us, or round two was yeah. us. Uh, round three, I played against Storm. Um, and that... Like Storm is actually pretty scary, except I didn't realize how much better setup my deck was for Storm until I actually played against it. Not having four Terminus to draw in your deck is way better when they're just actual spells that you want to see against Storm. Uh, so like having Velocity and then when like they can't necessarily go off, especially against three Counterbalance. It just gives you these windows to like end step, cast your predicts, and just go up a ton of resources. Uh, so it's like if he duresses and takes a, a force, you get get to rebuild immediately off of a predict if he, they don't feel like they can kill you immediately. And just having, a, I, I was playing three counterbalance, so having three counterbalance to slam on turn two, if they're not playing around back to basics immediately, you can sometimes get them if you can get to turn three. Um, now, did you have? There was just like. Did you have like a canonist or anything like that in your board as like a secondary? I didn't have any canonists only because I wasn't expecting to play against Storm and I didn't think canonist was good enough against enough things to warrant it in the board because I'm also trying to essentially storm off once I have a mentor on the table. So I was like, if I'm playing canonist, I have to play it as a hate card knowing that my clock is going to slow down. Uh, so I actually did not play any canonist because I thought my sideboard slots were already pretty tight. Uh, so I played more containment priest thinking that i was gonna because it, it just hoses so many yeah. things 
I thought the applications for containment priest, like, you know, containment priest is against against that one random dredge player that you're inevitably gonna run into. Uh obviously great against all the sneak and show decks. Um I like containment priest uh also just casually against the elves sometimes is another counter spell. Oh it's it's great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you just like get their green sons of the or their natural order sometimes if they're not thinking about playing around it because I, I mean, I've got a great, I've got a great clip on my Twitch channel of like an owls player with like a zillion things in play, and he's at like two, and I've got a deathrite shaman, and he doesn't have one, um, and it's, he taps all his mana. I've got a containment priest in my hand, and I'm just, and I'm saying on the stream like, please be green sun zenith, please be green sun zenith, please be green sun zenith, and it's a green sun zenith, and I flash in the containment priest, and it's just like. The, it was. It took him forever because it's elves, and you know they got to do all their. Your opponent has disconnected. <laughs> no, he didn't. He didn't. No, it took him forever just because to to like finish casting the green sun zenith because he had so many things to tap and untap and ramp and you know changes man account and everything, and it's just me going, please be green sun zenith, please be green sun zenith, because if it's a hard cast crater hoof, I'm super dead. But uh, yeah, it ended up being green sun zenith, which I containment priested. Yeah, he didn't have enough to get through that turn. Um, and I just death right him because, yeah. Anyway, anyway, yes. Yeah. yeah. Containment Priest is good against them. It's good against Zenith, and it's good against Natural Order, so great. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, so you didn't play Canonist, but it didn't really matter. You managed, you, you have, you have Counterbalance, which is kind of like Canonist in that it's an yeah. onboard thing that they have to deal with. And it's tough, too, because they always will, like, at least his play pattern and play patterns that I've noticed, you know, in the past, just playing a bunch of Miracles versus Storm, is usually they're throwing out a bait spell first to, like, check the top card. Um, and oftentimes, if you don't think that that bait card matters as much, if you're playing blind, uh, you can just choose not to reveal and, like, let them have the spell that isn't as good and still keep the doubt in their head. Also, they don't have Abrupt Decay main board anymore. I remember I was, right. I was playing that in my Storm deck when... Uh... Miracles was still around. Then they got to board into it and find it and have the mana for it, which is actually really hard against back to basics um, as well. I mean, one one thing that I, I would do, like I when I played against him and I, I he fetched a Bayou. Yeah. And so like, obviously I'm like, okay, he's got a couple of Abrupt Decay. If he would pass with the Abrupt Decay mana up, I would just not cast my Counterbalance. Yeah. You know, I'd be like, okay, we'll waste that mana and go to the next turn. Um, and it's like, there's no way you go off with me having a full grip of seven and not knowing what it is, you know? Yeah. Um, so uh, that was what I played round three. Round four, I played against Grixis Delver. Um, did you guys, and it was the first. Did you guys draw? Go ahead. Did you guys draw? Yeah, we we drew, but still played oh, yeah, it that's out. That's right. That was you and Roland. I was watching that. Yeah. Because uh, I wanted to get in reps with the deck, mm-hmm. uh, and like playing against Grixis Delver, and, and then the following round, I played against Jeskai Delver. Um, I crushed Jeskai Delver. I lost to Grixis Delver, uh, but I did learn. Uh, I, I, that was my first time like playing against Bomat. Courier of Grixis. Yeah. And so I, I kind of got a, a feel for how that deck plays out differently from something like Rug. Uh, like just in the fact that they're not, they're no longer on Deathrite Shaman, they're on Bomat Courier, like recouping cards. So like I, I noticed that there was a much more uh, incentive once like Bomat Courier has like three or four cards under it to just like kind of throw your spells out because uh, you know you get to reload. And a lot of the time, the stuff that's under the Bomat Courier, you either already know because you set him up, you set him up from cantrips prior, or you could just fetch and figure out what was under the Courier to begin with. So you can kind of sculpt your game plan around like the three or four cards that are under the Bomat. Yeah. And when you're playing against a deck that, you know, it's like if you have if you're playing against a, a point removal deck, whether it's Grixis or whether it's Miracles or what have you, that 
there are bigger threats than the Bowmat. Like Delver is the bigger threat because it kills you faster. So you're kind of priced into dealing with the the Gurmag or the Delver before you are with the Bowmat, even though the Bowmat is just going to recoup them on a bunch of cards. Uh, so it was interesting that the, the play pattern on Bowmat was that he's kind of insulated because the other threats are better. Right. Um, and by better, I mean they're just faster. And it's like you need to not die before. Like them having cards in their hand isn't as bad as you just being dead. So it's like you have to... Your your removal is kind of overloaded uh, because they're playing these super cheap threats, but the other ones just clock you harder. The thing about Bowmat is that it is a it's like an interesting tempo play. I've actually ha- I've played against it a bunch. I've been playing Arena, um, and it is super obnoxious when you're like playing against a red deck and their hands empty and you just stabilize and you realize they're gonna just Bowmat and draw four. Um, so it's not like, but that's standard where where everything's different, right? Um, I think that you still have to sort of pressure them to. I think you still want to kill it because, like, it's only hit. Oh, one hundred percent, you want to yeah. kill it. It's just like if you you need the resources to be able to handle that, plus their other efficient beaters. You know, I think you got to kill it like... even before Delver. If you have like, well, it depends on how many hits you can take off the Delver. But you really got to use your life total as a resource there because basically you want to either make it a bad incentive for them to crack the Bowmat if their mana's up, or do it while they can't, um, or it's not good. Uh, so you want to hit it early, and I'd rather take a couple Delver hits and hope, you know, you have Snapcast your Plow and stuff, so, you know. Yeah. And you have Jace, too, to deal with Gurmag Angler. I mean, as long, the card I've, I was, you know, really nervous about, I don't think that, uh, my, the other Grixis Delver player was playing, uh, Bomat Courier, but, you know, I just didn't want to get killed by a true name, uh, so I was, like, a little nervous about that. But. Yeah, your your I feel like your deck is. I mean, obviously you're playing Maverick. Like you care about uh, one thing, shutting down all of your ground pounders. Yeah. Uh, I was sort of worried about True Name because I realized I didn't give myself very many outs to it because I decided to play a pair of unexpectedly absent instead of uh, an EE Council's Judgment <laughs> or, or like splitting them that's up. That's gotta be super so funny just, against the Bomat Courier too. Like just unexpectedly absent. Oh, you all those cards. You, you flip the you flip the Bomat and then exile itself. Yeah, that's pretty nice. Um. No, that doesn't work. It like, sacrifices a cost. I'm just saying that, like, they put a bunch of stuff under it, and then you just unexpectedly absent it. Like, oh, well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm game. saying that, like, if they don't have the red to pay, you get to flip it and exile itself, yeah. um, uh, which is pretty sweet. Uh, but, yeah, so I decided to play too unexpectedly absent also because it enables the four predict that I'm yep. playing, and I really never wanted to have a, bl- a blind predict in my hand. Uh, and throughout the day, I very rarely ever had a blind predict. Um, I was I was happy with how efficient the deck was at making sure I always knew a top card somewhere. Yep. Um, Bobble was obviously like Bobble's not as good as Portent, but the fact that it enabled a bunch of stuff, I feel like offset the fact that it only it doesn't look at three cards. Um, and also, you can use it as like a turn one scry with a fetch. Which land, I do all the which time. Is pretty... I, I played a reasonable yeah. amount of Bobble decks in both format, uh, Modern and Legacy. I just I think it's really over like not overpowered but like underrated yeah it's a free cantrip yeah, like it's, it's a free card you know what your opponent's doing which you know sometimes you play in a cabal therapy deck it, it's it's cool it's a cool card i mean what like i i looked i there was one time where i i mean there were a bunch of weird corner cases with it but there was one time where i uh bobbled looking at their top card and then set up my counterbalance for whatever card was on top um and that was kind of interesting yeah. Uh, like there was a lot of like w- very unique little applications like that, and I also because I was playing Bobble where you have the card drawn on the next upkeep, I was incentivized to want to play at instant speed. So I thought unexpectedly absent would be better there as well. Um, 
And like there were multiple times during the day where you just like unexpectedly absent something and then jace it to the bottom or you predict it off the top. Like uh, in our match, I uh, unexpectedly absent a, so- a sort of fire and ice and then predicted it off yep. the top. Um, well, how did your Jeskai Delver matchup go? So the Jeskai Delver matchup was like super easy. Uh, and not that like I don't think that, that that deck is playable, but more so because it doesn't hit you as fast as uh, Grixis. Uh, because even though they do have Delvers, they are playing a slower game on Stoneforge as opposed to like playing eight one drops plus a Gurmag on the following turns. Uh, so because the deck was slower, it just gave you way more time. And uh, this was Virgil. He just also happened to not be playing any basics, which I didn't realize. I thought he might have been on some. But back to basics just like shut him down a couple times. Um and Supreme Verdict was also very good. There was like I Supreme Verdicted away a Batter Skull and a TNN, I think. Um, and he showed me after the game his hand of uh, Force Days Pierce. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, like th- that. That's why Verdict is <laughs> a house. Yeah. You know. Um. He's just like, oh man, I, I'm pretty sure I got this thing locked up. Like he didn't know I wasn't playing Terminus, so he's like, I can fight over this Terminus infinitely. And I'm just like, yeah, dude, Verdict. Great. So now you go to the top eight. You, you, you did draw out those two guys. So you go to the top eight and you play against Sneak and Show. Now, this, we both played against this player, Robert Ferguson. Uh, he was the one I lost to. And then you played against him in the quarterfinals. He was playing Sneak and Show. Yeah, yeah. And so I played. we played uh, game one. I, I actually mulled to five, but stole it uh, because back to basics, locked out, uh, like, I think it was like three of his lands or something and just made it so he could only one spell every yeah. turn and I could keep pace with him even on my five card hand. And also Predict is very good at like making up mulligans. Yeah. Um, when I mulliganed to five, I was like, yeah, this is how this day, this day ends. And then I took that game, and I was like, well, that was unexpected. Uh, game two, he just nuts me. Yeah. Uh, and then game three, we get to a position where I turn two in a can, uh, canonist, uh, containment priest. Uh, and so I know that the, his only avenue to win is through omniscience yeah. now, right? He can't show and tell a fatty. He can't sneak a fatty. So he either has to deal with the containment priest or he can only win through omniscience. So I've, we've cut off two axes of which he can win. And the turn that he goes for it, my hand is unexpectedly absent, uh, force of will, uh, snapcaster mage, and... Brainstorm. Uh, well, I'm brainstorm. I and brainstorm. Yeah, brainstorm. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So it's brainstorm, snapcaster mage, force of will, unexpectedly absent, and the top card of my deck is predict, which I know because I, I set it up from previous turns. So he goes... Show and tell. Uh, so the I, I didn't. I was like, damn it. He like somehow after two cantrips has both the omniscience and the fatty to play through this containment priest. Like I didn't. I needed him to not just line it up immediately after me casting the containment priest. But I'm like, okay, how do I fight this? So I'm thinking I can either brainstorm and uh, my my lands that I have up are Plains Island Tundra. Mm-hmm. So I can either brainstorm and predict a way to try and find another force so I can double force, or I can try and, uh, like, force first and then, uh, like, brainstorm afterwards if I don't want to pitch the brainstorm, in which case I'm pitching the Snapcaster. So I'm, like, trying to figure out what the proper line is. I end up taking the wrong one where I, like, end up trying to uh, like earlier on i like blew the unexpectedly absent on like a pedal to try and cut him off mana that way he couldn't actually go off um but it didn't actually work but what i should have done so i, I punted the game because i didn't i didn't see the, the the line that would win me yeah. the game 
But with my hand of Snapcaster Force Brainstorm unexpectedly absent, knowing that he has to go for the omniscience, what I should have done was he casts Show and Tell, I force Pitch Brainstorm. He forces back because obviously his hand is perfect. Right. So his, ha- his five-card hand is Show and Tell, Omniscience, Force, Blue Card, and uh, something else. And right, Grizzle Brand, exactly obviously. Right. So yeah, it's his exact five, the turn he has to go off with Force backup is that exact five through this Containment Priest. So he show and tells, I force, he forces back, it resolves, and I die. But what I should have done was force it, he forces back, we both say, okay, I put in the snapcaster, he puts in the omniscience, but the snapcaster's trigger on the stack gives me priority, so I can unexpectedly absent his omniscience back to the top of his deck, strand the grizzle brand in his hand, and then I get to untap. And then I have the predict on top, and I can just predict the omniscience off the top of his deck. So... I had all of the tools to win that game because then I get to beat for four on my turn and like put them on a fast clock. And I just never like came across the scenario or at least like that I can recall in a long time where you can use your snapcasters or your clicks as a means to get their triggers to retain a priority before they can cast something off the omniscience. So if you have a disenchant or something that can interact with the omniscience, and you have a way to just put a priority uh, on the stack for yourself yeah. off the show and tell. Then you can beat you can beat that line. And I didn't I didn't think of it, even though I had all of it. So like even though I lost that round, I think like learning that lesson of how to interact with omniscience in those particular scenarios, which I can't imagine are you know all that rare, especially if you're playing containment priest, uh, I thought was like super valuable. So I lost in the quarterfinals because I punted, even though I had the resources to win. Uh, but I learned that super valuable lesson. So like. Yeah, anybody who, you know, if you're, if you're ever in those kinds of positions, like, think about, like, when they put in show and tell that you can try and steal a priority back with ETB triggers. Yeah, and unfortunately, that, I mean, not unfortunately, but that's the only way it works, like, because once the show and tell resolves, they get priority. So you can't, like, leave up a fetch land and put the priority on the stack that way. Right, yeah. right. But as long as Snapcaster or uh, Click's trigger goes on the stack, they can't cast uh, one of their fatties. And it's, I think the reason, so it's, like, it, it's funny, because the, the intuitive unintuitive part of it is that very often if you're putting in an enter the battlefield trigger off the show and tell it's like reclamation stage <laughs> so it just kills the omniscience yeah, anyway. it's like something that does it for <laughs> yeah. you yeah so yeah but that, i think that was that was a good lesson to learn um and that was your tournament we ended up well i guess did you end up winning all five rounds if you in your in your practice games right so I, uh, I I threw a game to grixis because i i misplaced my spells but like that matchup is more interactive than like it's it's not just totally like they run you over like i just misplayed yeah. but um i ended up in theory over a course of six rounds i went four and two because i punted the show and tell matchup and then was inexperienced in the grixis oh matchup. okay i thought you uh because the only time i when i looked in and you you you, you kept bouncing his gourmet gangler which he was then hard casting with his like 30 oh yeah away. i i won that game <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah okay um that was the game where he like he ended up casting the same gourmet angler like six times so let's because I kept, like, unexpectedly and jacing it, and it was great. Let's talk about round two. Like, everyone knows the results here, so I, I just kind of want to talk about some of the decisions that we each made, because um, it's interesting for a couple of reasons. One is that we're on this podcast, and we talk all the time, and we have a text thread where it's like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, right? So we sort of always know what the other person's up to and the other person's play style. Um, the other thing is, of course, that we're playing in, like, the 1-0 bracket in a five-round tournament, so every win matters. 
So we got to like try hard. And the, 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 there was also a thing where you had looked at my deck list part two because you wanted to see the spice that I was playing. So you knew I didn't have Terminus. But then there was a moment during our game where because I hadn't looked at your deck list, you ended up trying to green sun for six. And I'm like, I have no idea what this is. So I ended up forcing yeah. it. But I was like, I have no idea what's in your deck that you could possibly yeah. get. I, I, I uh, did not feel like I had much of a good chance going into it. I thought that, um, one, because of all the basics, that my Wasteland plan is pretty much dead. Yeah. And that also actually reduces the efficacy of Thalia. The other thing is you have Swords to Plowshares and Snapcaster Mage. I don't have a way... To, I mean, I have a Scavenging Ooze, but you can just Swords it. Um... Uh, so like Swords of Plashiers kills almost kills everything in my deck except for the Sigarda, uh, and anything if I, if I have a mom up. But like you're gonna be you're gonna be looking at three to four cards a turn. I also know you have Mishra's Bauble and Predict, right? So you've got Brainstorm, Ponder, Mishra's Bauble, Predict. So the question is, can I brute force my way through before your su vastly superior card quality? lets you pull away with the win and well, and because I'm playing so many Predicts, the the card volume, yeah. just like having raw cards. Um, I will point out that one thing that was nice about the mentor uh, bobble predict shell is that that whole the, like those twelve cards all play through a chalice. Right. Oh, and that's actually another good point. Um, mentor goes wide, which is very tough for Maverick to deal with because that was how I ended up uh, stealing one game. I just like ended up making a bunch of mentor tokens, and then we just stared at each yeah. other. I couldn't attack through it. I needed my Sigarda, which I, I I booted that an opportunity to get it. Um, I think, but it's like the, 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 mentor tokens were interesting too, because they, like, I am more than willing to throw any of them away. Like they, like they mean nothing to me other than not dying, but it's also tough. Cause like you can't swing because they'll just kill you on the crackback. Right. That's, that's exactly the point. Like they're, so like, they're very like, scary go wide. Yeah. Well, the tokens are totally indispensable yeah. to me. Like I could, I could just give a shit about the tokens. You also have Jace, which is hard for Maverick to answer. Um, so yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on, um, were you playing a Revoker? I don't have Revoker, no. And I, I always, I, I, okay. I go back and forth on it in Maverick, um, I, just because like, Pithy, like you want Pithing Needle for some reasons, like you know, just Dark Depths or whatever. Um, yeah. And, but Revoker is more on plan with Mom and stuff, uh, and it shuts off Lion's Eye Diamond. Though I don't, I don't find Storm to be that big a problem as long as you get to untap on turn two, because you have so many turn two <laughs> plays that just shut down Storm. So. Yeah, how how many years do you think until they print uh, Theth Thespian's Pithing Needle stage? Yeah, right. <laughs> Just print the print the, the the Pithing Needle land. Yeah, right. Um, I don't think they're gonna do that. But anyway, so game one uh, was interesting in a way because I I you were down to one, <laughs> and I couldn't get through. And it was and I had a Sylvan Library, a Tireless Tracker, and I just kept drawing more Wastelands and more Thalias. And the Thalias, I had a Thalia in play, but it was it was meaningless because you had about eight lands. <laughs> um, yeah, we were deep. We were we really were deep. deep into the game. Your deck was very thin. And I just never, I don't know if it was game one or game two, where I played a Green Sun Zenith that you uh, countered, but I should have, or no, I played a Green Sun Zenith just to get another guy on the board because you had a Jace. And I needed to like make sure that you had to keep minusing Jace instead of brainstorming with it. Um, yeah. But I should have waited a turn and had all my mana untapped and then Green Sun Zenith for Sigarda in that moment. Um, and I think that was game one because I think I would have won the game if I did. I think I got a Scavenging Ooze for like no, again, like for no functional reason other than like he's got a Jace and I need to make sure he concentrates on minusing Jace because you also have a Mentor and I don't want you to draw more cards. 
and beat them. Yeah, that, that 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 oozed. There was a point because Source the Plowshares was just keeping all of, like your plows and my plows kept all of the creatures out of the yard. That Scoos ended up not having anything to eat, so it just traded for no value yeah. really. Um, so that yeah. was a mistake. That was the mistake I made because I I could have untapped and Zenith for five and gotten Sigarda. Because um, yeah, because we had expended each other's resources. There was also like I think you might have tapped out for the Jays, and I don't want to say I freaked out, but I was more like ah crap, he's got a Jays. I've got like one reasonable threat, so I need to put another reasonable I mean, I, threat I, down. I, yeah, I definitely tapped out because I I remember I had to pay yeah, five mana you had for to the pay Jays. Five mana for Jays through Thalia, and I know you can like he can't force the Zenith if I do it right now. Um, but yeah. if I'd waited a turn, um, I think I could have Zenith for the full amount. Because I would have been able to make another land drop, um, and I just put a scooze on the board or something, some other sort of ineffectual creature. So that was my mistake yeah, in game, yeah. and it, it yeah. ended up mattering because you won at one life. I uh, eventually you made about, I, eventually you got rid of my Thalia and just went off, uh, and that was the win. I, I went off, and then I, I made enough tokens where, even if you blocked with each of your creatures, I would enough power would be coming through to to, to right. get you. Uh, and then in game two. Um, I actually, and I, I want to let you know, like you said that you were scared of back to basics. I actually boarded back to basics out because you get on the board faster than I do. And even if I like try, even if I were to cut your mana off, uh, I would still have to deal with your guys. And I didn't think I could take a turn where you're likely going to have Thalia on the table to play like a three to four mana sorcery speed thing that doesn't keep me from dying. I think that's correct. The difference, the, the, there's a couple of issues though. Not, not that you're wrong. I'm thinking, from me, from my perspective, the back to basics problem is that I can just, I have four basics in my deck. I had two forests and two planes. I can play around back to basics. The problem is I don't yeah. have a card card selection. So if my hand is like Savannah, Caracas, you know, Wasteland, yeah, I can't. you could just open a hand that naturally gets, that gets pwned by yeah, back. That's to what basics. I was worried yeah. about, right? So I was like, I gotta, you know, really be, I gotta, you know, be on the lookout for that. And I had the pride mages. I don't think game game two was um, similar in that I got a cannonist down that was impacting your ability to spam the board. In that, in that. Yeah, I, it it really cannonist really made me because it was like cannonist was the least abused threat against me. Like it was the it was the least threatening of the things that you had on the table. And so I was pointing all of my stuff at uh, your other threats and then just having to pace my sorcery speed stuff and then know that I'm going to use my instant speed stuff on your turn just so I could actually two spell on a yeah. turn. Um, but yeah, no, Canonist was definitely doing work in making me like change how I wanted to play for sure. And when I did end up with six guys on the table and Zenith for Sigarda, uh, you, you then untapped and cast supreme verdict now the irony of that is that i had spell color in my deck until like two days before <laughs> like the one the well, one and, card that could be the supreme fair, verdict and i had it <laughs> the, the one thing the one thing about that though is that in that moment the spell queller wouldn't have helped you because you had to tap out for the, the i Zenith, actually didn't right? know because remember i had gaia's cradle so i gaia's cradle i had all sorts of untapped oh, man. with the valley on the table uh, yeah, because I had like remember I, it was like an eight for one, so I was just. <laughs> Yo, dude, if, if if you spell quellered my supreme verdict to the, to then kill me, I would have we I would have just scooped that third game. We wouldn't even have played it. Uh, yeah. I'd have been like, not only that, you can keep my altered supreme yeah, I verdict. Didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't say the tying, and I and I, I don't remember I remembered it until later that I was like, huh, I did have the one card, like the one card 
you know, one out of, like, what, six cards in the entire game that can prevent a, a Supreme Verdict from resolving. I have it in my bag. Yeah, it's, like, it's, it's in it's my like, bag. It's like Remand, <laughs> it's Remand Venser, Spellqueller, uh, any of the Exile uh, counterspells. Remand doesn't work. Because it has to be countered. Oh, because that's right. Because it doesn't counter it, so it doesn't yeah. bounce it back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're um, right. So unsubstantiate. Yeah, it's, it's like, yeah, exactly. Funny, but you know, at that point, we had five minutes left, and I knew I was because you had two mentors. The only thing I can do to get over the top yeah. of it is Sigarda, and uh, once Sigarda was not going to untap, I was, I was not going to untap with Sigarda. Um, it didn't really matter because even though you wiped out your entire board, you had Jace, and I didn't. So. They were so yeah, I, I don't yeah. they weren't I, I would say you were favored for sure and you won two zero but they were interesting and oh, fun I mean, games. My my back was against the wall for a lot of those games. Like mentor stabilized me in a really big way, and then I was also like I ended up uh, spending a sort of plowshares on your scrib ranger when you also had uh, canonist I think in that case canonist and Athalia right yeah it was. You had like other threats that like you would think would just be way more important, but I ended up pointing my swords to plowshares at your flyer because I'm like I'm not going to be able to deal with that thing, but mentor is going to be able to clog up the board. Yeah, because I had a mom so um, you couldn't swords it, um, or I'm sorry, you could. I had a mom that you had to like. I kept bouncing, bouncing mom, with you had to bounce so mom with Jace, yeah. and then swords that because otherwise it was going to kill Jace. Yes, that's what happened. Um, so yes, it was a, it was a tough. But I think that. Um, Mentor is, is really good for that reason. It goes wide, and it just it stopped me from doing what I want to do, which is get through with one big ground guy. Some Maverick players in the past have played Rogue's Passage to get through with a big knight, and now I'm wondering about that myself. But honestly, they were really it was it was a fun matchup that I, that ended up being more competitive than I expected. Um, but yeah. uh, and it, I, I also liked it too because you, we were we were playing blisteringly fast. Yeah, and then I looked up and there's like and, five minutes left of the round. I was like, okay, we're just done. <laughs> and it's like, like we 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 both tanked very little on any turn because we we knew we had to maintain yeah. the pace, and we were like we were playing at like an insane speed and still only got through two games just because those the games are so grindy. Because like I can never really like. If I'm winning the game, it's because I've just dealt with everything that you've done. Like, I'm not, like, going to pivot and steal a game, you know? So it's just like, you got to throw all of your stuff at me, and then I'm just like, can't, will my defenses hold? And then we're just exchanging resources through all of it, and it's like, yeah, that's how the games yeah. play out. Um, but yeah, they were really fun. Fun games. Um, you know, I just, uh, I don't know. I, I don't really have much else to say about it, unless you wanted to mention it. But it, was, it turned out to be really interesting, a lot more so than I expected. And the fact that I knew you didn't have Terminus and played into it, then you boarded in. I didn't look at your sideboards. I didn't know you had Supreme Verdict. <laughs> um, and uh, but like I, you know, whatever. I, I had no other choice to make, and neither did you. So it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we, we were we were at the point where like there's a certain point where I'm just gonna make too many tokens that are just eventually yeah, gonna be yeah. able to get through. Um. So even then. But anyway. Well, um, I thought your deck was good. I want to take another look at it myself and see if um, you know, I, I, how much if we can get this predict. Uh, Mistress Bobble Engine going. I think it's a cool thing to be doing. I mean, it's a two-mana Ancestral, <laughs> which is... Yeah, well, I mean, it's like clearing off the uh, the top of your deck is also, like, really nice. Uh, you get that, like, Bobble has enough applications that it doesn't feel like it's a totally, like, a, a total downgrade because of the things that enables, like, going Mentor Bobble, or, like, if you just, like, sandbag it and go Mentor Bobble Bobble, like, the game usually just ends yeah. right there. So... Like, uh, and the fact that then you're not going to be going down in card equity, uh, 
is a big deal. And I think that there's a lot of room for that engine to exist uh, for people who don't want to play like super controlly go to turns every round miracles. <laughs> right. Um, I, I, I was actually wrong. It's two cards to get three. It's not one card to get three, but you do draw three cards. You get three new cards is the upshot, right? So. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, cl you can clear away a bad card. Uh, if you have the setup, uh, but either way, your vote, the predict and the bobble will be refreshed by three cards. Yeah. So it's not quite ancestral, but it's close. And you know, it's it's not. It's somewhere in between other other engines in terms of. Yeah, I mean, like some people were uh, in trying to figure out uh, like a high volume resource blue white deck. We're starting to try out accumulated yeah. knowledge, and like that's super sweet. But like the first one just being a cycle. And then the second one being a predict, it's like, man, by the time you get to the third, like, that means that you've already spent four mana that hasn't impacted the table at all. Like, and that at that point, then it's a two mana draw three. And if they have anything to like mess with your graveyard, like, I mean, how, how, how does that deck win if somebody just like boards in a surgical for your accumulated knowledge? And then all of a sudden you're like value engine that your deck is based around, like, can no longer do that. So now you're just going to be playing off the top of your deck. I don't no, know. It's just, I agree. Like, uh, accumulated knowledge is a cool card. Intuition, accumulated knowledge... It's super cool. It's not like... a, a playable engine. That's four... That's five to draw... That's five mana and two cards to draw three, maybe? So it's four mana to draw three cards, because the first one cycles and the second one draws two. So you've spent four mana to draw three cards... And then if you go up to the next one, then you're drawing three cards. So in which case you spent six mana to draw four um, to draw uh, seven cards, which six mana to draw seven. Obviously, like that's a pretty solid rate, you know, like. No, I'm talking about if you use acu like, uh, intuition to set it up, too, because you also have to draw your accumulated knowledges, you know. Oh, I mean, at that point, then, yeah, you're paying five mana to draw seven. It's like the intuition, like cleared them out of your deck. But. You know, it's like accumulated knowledge also doesn't work with your snapcasters as well. Like predict works really well with your snapcasters. Yeah. Um, accumulated knowledge does not. Um, I did see. Uh, let's let's. Uh, we got a, we got about ten minutes left here. Maybe um, there was a legacy. There were legacy players on the pro tour. We're recording after the pro tour, and I think the winning deck was DNT. Yeah, yeah. Uh, winning legacy deck, but of course we don't really know how good anyone ever really did. But um, they they posted all the legacy deck lists, so take a look at that if you're interested. And seeing what people brought to the pro tour, there are some questions and stuff. The card that I a lot there was there was a lot more interesting stuff in there than I anticipated. Like a bunch of what we thought, but like there was also a, a lot more intriguing brewing yeah. going on too. Um, we're gonna we're gonna have a guest on hopefully to talk about the pro tour and especially about this particular deck. I don't want to spoil it just in case it doesn't work out. Um, but we should just mention the the death shadow as a strategy starting to come through now. The question is whether or not there are zero burn decks in this field, okay? Is that a thing where it's like, you assume no one's bringing burn because it's the Pro Tour, right? Um, so is it worse? Is it safer, or do you think it's actually going to have some legs outside uh, in like a sta in like a uh, run-of-the-mill legacy tournament? It's one of those things where I think to myself now that the blue-black shadow deck, like, the only expensive cards in it really are the two underground sea, Obviously, it's the most expensive card, but like it's it's only two Cs and then the four forces, and then the rest of the deck is like it's fifty bucks, right? I mean, unless Shadow like shot up since the Pro Tour, I don't know. It was like a ten dollar card it the was last time I looked. It was recently reprinted, so it was Thoughtseize. 
Uh, yeah, so it's like, like, and especially like if you play modern, like you're gonna have a lot of those staple cards anyway. Um, but like the blue black death shadow deck is as close to a budget deck for a blue deck we've ever seen. Like, if you want to play a budget blue deck, like blue black shadow is a pretty solid look. Like, it's an efficient delver deck that is also just cheap by comparison to any of the other blue yep. decks. Um, I guess if you play like back to basics miracles and then you're really only playing like one to two tundra and then then that's also pretty much a, a budget deck as well. Um, but like if you were to look at like oh blue black shadow is going to pick up therefore burn is going to get better. I think like the only argument to play burn is that it's a super budget deck. And so you think it's the compete I think for the it, players. But so now it's just like, well, if if I get that blue black because it has two underground seasons, it's obviously more expensive than you know twenty mountains. But it's like if you're in the market for a budget deck, DNT is now a budget deck, and blue black shadow you can consider a budget deck. So if it, if if budget is the constriction, there are just two better decks that are budget that are better than burn. Yeah. And so it's like you have to be like, I you have to like one just I want to play burn or. Like I'm actually still priced out of the Rashad and Port reprints and the Wasteland reprints and the you know Death Shadow only playing two duels and yeah. then nothing but commons. Um, like I don't know what the argument would be to play Burn now unless you were just like I think this is going to be a metal game call. I think people are going to be playing nothing but Shadow and Lands. You know. <laughs> well, I, I. But otherwise, I'm like I want I want to be on. If I'm playing a budget deck, I want to either be on DNT or Shadow. Well, I think there's a couple considerations. One is that if in this particular, like, someone's going to be playing Burn. Someone's always playing Burn, right? At a big tournament. Well, yeah, I mean that's just like that's like the card somebody has and they ported it from modern other, or what have you, other, and that's what they're going to do. Keep in mind is if you're dropping your life total down significantly, then like a ten any tendrils of agony deck just like ritual cabal ritual kill you, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean the, the like death shadow is just like it's got a lot of disruption, man. Like four thoughtsies, four days, two stubborn denials, and uh, uh, four well, force like. like Storm decks are built to beat that, you know. Like they already have to oh, play. Oh sure, but like, like the fact that Thoughtseize also gets to mess with them is. I mean, I hear you. Like, yeah. I, I think that, like, I, I think that matchup is probably super interesting to watch and see how people manage their life totals. No. Yeah. Um, um. But I, I would, I would think that, like, because Shadow has two main deck negates and four days and four force and four Thoughtseize and then like really efficient clocks, that I can't imagine that it's like. A totally one-sided. Well, I event. guess what I'm saying is not that it, any of this makes the deck bad or a, a good choice. What I'm saying is like, this deck is new. People are going to adjust to it. I think a lot of people are sort of. Also, you've got like great players were on it. Josh Utter Layton is great, and Luis Scott Vargas is great. <laughs> like, uh, who else was? I was really happy that uh, LSV cleared up his logic behind three ponder and a preordain as opposed to just playing four ponder. Because when I saw it. I, I, dude, I flipped out. I hyperventilated. Yeah. I was just like, what is going on? What is happening? And then right, right after I did that, like shortly after, he was like, here's our reasoning for it. This is, you know, uh, the thought process behind the 3-1 split. I'm like, I mean, I get it. I'm still on four ponder. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, uh, I think it's, uh, oh, but, yeah, there's, I mean, our, uh, we got Ben Friedman here is a good player, Alex Hain, Mar Tom Martell, Sam Party. Like, these were some very strong players playing this deck. Oliver Tomaszko, um, Noah Walker. Yeah, uh, uh, Ben Friedman also had the uh, fun play 
where he got to daze his own spell to pick up a shock to shock himself again so he could grow his death shadow yeah. to kill somebody. Well, I, I like again, I'm not saying the deck's bad or anything like that. I really don't I don't mean it to sound like that. What I'm saying is like it's it's the breakout deck. We'll talk about it in our next in our next um in our next podcast a little bit more, but that's the big story, yeah. I think. It's it, it is it's it's a big enough story that it's making me think that for GP Richmond I need to diversify my threats alongside mentor because if a bunch of uh decks in the field are just going to have three dread of night in the board uh that's not a good look for mentor right. oh yeah the other thing about death shadows of course the presence of the card swords to plowshares which is i played against it with uh when i was practicing the maverick deck and like he was at like nine and i, I had a gurmag angler to death shadow and i just swords the gurmag angler which killed the death shadow so yeah that's nice they got to learn to pace their threats around and swords I mean, to plowshares they can't put right, them both you can't on the table. have yeah if you're within five if, if you're at eight or whatever or more and you play Gurmag Angler, you know, it's all the work you've done is going to be undone. But anyway, um, Death Shadow closes real fast. And I think it, it's a temp, it's a, it is a good tempo creature. It's going to be interesting to see how this deck interacts with Rug Delver, actually, because um, Rug, I mean, Rug will get your life total down low fast, but Death Shadow is a one mana 6 6. <laughs> or one mana seven. Yeah, seven. it gets to invalidate your Tarmogoyfs and mongies. your Nimble Mongies pretty and, and quick. And they still have uh, Fatal Push or their own Delvers or Snuff Out to kill Delver and not die to that. They're just playing more yeah. removal. Blue Black Shadow plays more removal than Rug Delver does. Freeman's deck has five pieces of removal, which is about normal for Delver. Let me see what... Uh... I guess four bolts and a dismember. But like their bolts are pretty much just going to be have, have to go face because... It can only fight over a Delver, really, or like a very short the Death Grixis Shadow. Delver, or the Grixis Shadow versions have three Lightning Bolt, one Dismember. Yeah. Thought Seize is, is also... The other thing is like they can Thought Seize a threat. And when you're when you're playing a slower Thought Seize deck against Rug, Thought Seizing a threat is not always the best thing to do. Um, because you have to like get your stuff through days. But, they, but with Death Shadow and Gurmag Angler, you don't care about days. Because you can probably get two lands in play, <laughs> you know. Yeah, you, you just you just function entirely yeah, off yeah. of two so, mana. Yeah. Like, it's not it's not the same pressure point. Whereas like I'm res I'm trying to resolve this true name nemesis or this Jace, and I can't let them have a spell pierce in their hand. But you're like, well, I don't care about this spell pierce, and I don't care about this Daze, so I can take the Delver and then just play around if I know they have Stifle, play around it or whatever, and um, you know, I can then play a one mana. Thing that just blocks all their ground creatures so yeah I, I, the one the other aspect of uh the death shadow deck that i really like is that they actually have a ton of uh main deck ways to just beat reanimator because they play their own reanimates yeah, some of them have reanimated them which is thought sees reanimate your guy is is a, also a thing they can do in fact i was talking uh in the infect uh, discord about whether or not how we felt about this matchup right on the one hand, we have Invigorate, which is going to be hilarious against Death Shadow. Um, uh, on the other hand, like they have Thought Seize Reanimate, <laughs> so like they could take uh, like if we board. Sometimes people board into like a uh, you know we talked about boarding into True Name. I was like, I don't know if I want to do that because they'll just Thought Seize Reanimate my True Name, and then I'm in real trouble, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and just kill all my Infect creatures. But yeah, yeah. Um, anything else from the Pro Tour? I want to get to. I want to do a couple of Commander cards. Um, and in fact, I got to set up the screen uh, share. Yeah, no, I mean, the other um, interesting uh, deck that I, or like the new uh, version of the deck 
was uh, Shota Yusuko's uh, Omni Omni Show deck. Yeah, where he just played he just played Mono Blue Omniscience, but then went into a really heavy man plan out of the board with Thing in the Ice and Click. Um, and I think one I thought that like that version of the deck was super interesting just because uh, you know you're Mono Blue, so you just get to play a ton of basics. Uh, but the other thing that is interesting now is because Sneak and Show plays Arcane Artisan in the board, and now if people pick up Yasuka's Omni Show deck with Thing in the Ice and Clicks in the board, uh, like a lot of guys going around. So it's like you can't really board out your like Swords to Plowshares or your Pushes or you know it's like it, it, the 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 Sneak and Show decks and the Omni Show decks are just getting better board plans when they are know that you're just going to be boarding out your otherwise worthless yep. removal. Um, so like that stuff really makes it so, and I only know this from playing the, uh, the blue white version of uh, straight blue white for mentor, because I want to play back to basics that it kind of really prices you to want pyroblast. If you're playing, if you think you're going to run into a lot of those matchups because pyroblasters deals with all of that stuff uh, without having to worry about, Oh man, do I have to, leave in removal for the guys and still bring in enough counter magic for the stuff and all that whatever yeah. so yeah if, if you're playing against mono blue omniscience in the future uh recognize that you're going to see a thing in the ice or a click post board and that you should be prepared yeah. for that uh great do you have my screen share is that working uh let me pull it up and see okay i do uh, I want to go quick through a few cards from the Commander set. Um, this is not going to be a full preview. I don't think this set's great for Legacy. That's just my feeling. I don't think they're going to really be doing that much anymore since the true name and all sorts of other debacles. Um, but I do want to talk about a few cards. So, we'll start with this one. Entreat the Dead. As <laughs> you can imagine, it is a double X black, black, black sorcery. Return X target creature cards from your graveyard to the battlefield, and it has a miracle cost of X black black. So, this is the first black miracle. Of course, it does this. I think it's super cool that they brought back, even though it's it's the only it's the only new miracle that they gave uh, a miracle in a different color. I think is really fun. Um, obviously, this is the type of miracle that's not going in your control miracles deck. This is going in what. I would think is like a creature, a creature combo value deck. Uh, I mean, it's tough to figure out because like you, you want enough things that are going to stack your deck. So you still want the blue cards, but then you also want to be playing with like value creatures of some kind, or just like uh, creatures that you can, you know, because you're not, if you're, if you're playing like the super big fatties, you're just playing reanimator and this never sees play. So, you have to be in the market for things that you can already cast and then use this as a way to like generate a shit ton of value is my first yeah. look at it. I can't think of a home for it right now, but that's also because it's hard. You know, there was never a black <laughs> miracle, so like nobody was ever thinking about miracles with black cards before. Um I, I think that um, there's some there's gonna be some sort of combo deck with this that's that someone will attempt. And I also just you're filling your graveyard with stuff and you've got this miracle card. It just it synergizes with the other busted mechanics, which is uh, delve and Phyrexian mana, mostly because there's a Phyrexian mana card that puts something on top of your library. So if you let's say you like dredge, like you're just making land drops or something and dredging, because you can cast this with the Lion's Eye Diamond. Um, 
I believe. Maybe you can. You could what? Cast the Lion's Eye Diamond. Well, you would have to cast it where if this is the top card of your deck. Oh no, I remember now. You remember could now. like yeah, you. I had like it was like you put your draw spell on the stack. Then crack, crack it, yeah. Uh, for black. Yeah, and then you can uh, introduce. Yeah, there, there's the thing is it synergizes a lot of busted cards, so something to watch out for. That's my feeling. But it's also like pretty mana intensive. Like people have moved away from entreat just because entreat is since you can't instant speed it off of your top anymore. That you're going to be doing it in either their draw step or your draw step, unless you have like you know everything going for you and you can brainstorm it at the end of their turn. Uh, but like the fact that it like those types of X miracle spells really incentivize you to tap out. You just open yourself up to days and spell pierce really harshly. Um, almost to the point where like if you try and play around those cards, then the value that you're getting off of them isn't even all that great to begin with. So it's like it'll be tough. It, it's a, it's a really interesting card, and I'm curious to see where people will go with their bruise on it. Um, I'm not really too sure what people would do with it, but like I think you know I'm just like square one i'm like yeah let's get some strix right. value and shit a minato the fate shifter uh white black blue legendary planeswalker a minato three lip three loyalty plus one draw a card then put a card from your hand on top of your library minus one exile another target permanent you own then return to the battlefield under your control minus six choose left or right each player gains control of all non-land permanent non-land permanents other than a minato controlled by the next player in the chosen direction uh, it can be your commander. So, to me, this is a three mana blue walker, and I always say never sleep. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not always. Been yeah. Right, but <laughs> I, I my, my thoughts on this guy were, it's a three mana sorcery speed threat, so it's already going to be competing with the other things that are three mana that you can play, right? So, it's got a lot of competition. Yeah. The other thing is that the plus one doesn't actually net you any cards. So, I mean, it, it's like a third of a brainstorm. So, like, maybe if you have, like, excess land or something that you don't want, you can convert that into a spell. Uh, but, like, you're not really getting that much. And then the minus ability, it's incentivizing you to want to play with, you know, yeah. permanence. Uh, so you want to be playing with, like, ETB triggers. And it's like, if that's the case, then, like, the minus six means that it's tough to be playing... Uh, playing this in a deck where you're utilizing both the other two abilities plus going to leverage the minus six where it's like ideally you want to minus her when you have no other non-land permanents right so you just steal their board but like the minus is incentivizing you to play with your own etb triggers that you're probably if you're if you're playing with good cards that you want to double your triggers up on then you're not going to want to rotate them to your opponent right uh my feeling on this card is one playable mana cost that we did just talk about the issues that esper has getting its mana online and i don't think that should be ignored uh two interacts at the top of the library which is a busted area <laughs> at this point yeah um not just miracles there's a number of other cards to talk about there against another like let's say you're playing as another black deck um and it's like one of those it's like a grindy black de deck and they don't have like a lot of stuff they don't have anything down yet or something just hiding something from their potential Hymnatorok that you really want is, is you know, if they yeah. don't have board, you got a Planeswalker empty board, so whatever. But uh, and It's just tough, like, because, like, for for three-mana walkers, like, in, in those types of matchups, like, she's immediately competing with the two Lilianas. And Dak Faden, 
you know, in the questions you want to play Esper yeah. instead of Grixis. Uh, the minus one, though, I think with Baleful Strix, which is right in these colors, is very excellent. I'm, sh I'm, I'm sh they're, they're not going to stop making cards like that. So, yeah. It, it, the thing is, though, is that like when you think of it, like, yes, it works with Baleful Strix just because it's like you know a thing that you already want to be playing and it has a thing. At that point, that means that you're paying three mana to minus this down to two just to get another Strix. Right. Um, you know, it's like if it was a zero to to clause to do that or a plus. But because you're minusing, it's like, well, at that point, like, what the the incentive to this planeswalker just seems so low. Right. Um. And I think the minus six is trinket tax doesn't do anything. So, um, except for very very huge corner cases where you have drawn, and put back your worst card and fetched away, three times. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is that like she ultimates really fast. You know, like coming in and going on three and going directly to four, like she ultimates a turn faster than either of like. Uh, like Liliana Last Hope ultimates at minus seven, yeah. so it's like, and we know how fast that ultimate <laughs> feels. So this ultimate is like a turn, a full turn faster than that, even though it doesn't protect well, yeah, itself. Yeah, the thing Liliana protects um, itself on the way up, and uh, then you're, so yeah. you you can't effectively pressure it. Yeah, I, I think uh, maybe not, but I I just think it's a, again like I'm always on like does it interact? Does it do something that's stupid? Does it interact with something that's already dumb? And the two things that are dumb are the messing with the top of their library and enter the battlefield triggers. So, possibly. Yeah, if, if it shows up, I'm not surprised, but I don't know where it would go. All right. Maybe, maybe like, I don't know, standstill or yeah, something? That's the, kind of, that's the kind of thing you're talking, right? Uh, Tano's Urza's Apprentice. I know you're like, I know you're into this card. Blue and a... Yeah. Well, I'm into this card just because I'm like trying to figure out how we can make Psy Master Thopterist a thing. Because it's like already showing up in modern. It's probably in the best deck in, or one of the best decks in standard. It's like only a, a matter of time before I think Sai shows up in legacy, and I think uh, Tarnos here is going to be Tarnos, his best friend. Blue and a red legendary creature, human artificer, is a one-three with haste. Blue, red, tap. Copy target activated or triggered ability you control from an artifact source. You may choose new targets for the copy. I actually am interested in why you think this is good with Sai. So what? Uh, I think the best part about Psy is that he incentivizes you to also do the whole mentor thing where you'd want to play free spells just to start spamming tokens. Uh-huh. Uh, so obviously the free spells that are artifacts are the Moxin. So if you're already in uh, line for a bunch of artifacts, then obviously Mox Opal is great. But then Mox Amber being the other one, and the fact that Psy is a legend and Autonos is a legend means that you are, you're getting a a density of legends to make sure that Mox Opal is turned on. Tarnos is even better because he lets Mox Amber tap for two colors, uh, for either blue or red. Um, but then the the other card that is in Commander is um, Retrofitter Foundry. And I think uh, Tarnos and Retrofitter Foundry are, in my mind, absolute best friends. Uh, I like Retrofitter Foundry also because it's a one-man artifact. So it's a one-man artifact, and it has four different abilities. Uh, it's pay three generic mana, untap it, Two and uh, generic mana and tap it to create a one-one servo. Uh, one tap to sacrifice a servo to create a one-one thopter, or tap to sac a thopter to create a four-four colorless artifact construct. So, with foundry just being a one mana tap sac a thopter to make a four-four means that it works really well with psi. So if you have psi and cast retrofitter foundry, it just converts a the thopter you just made off the psi so into a four-four. You've now you've got Psy, Tano's with haste by the way at a mox amber and you yeah. cast this thing immediately you can make make, make a four four fours because you would probably use Tano's to copy that activated ability and you have two thoughts if, if you have enough mana so yeah 
so if you have enough mana, but with the sacrifice of Thopter as a cost, and because Tonos copies the ability, means that one Thopter, if you copy this, so effectively with a retrofitter and uh, uh, Tonos, if you have the if you have one Thopter, you can make eight power across two bodies for two mana. Um, so I was looking for things that I could play with Tonos, and like obviously as we were talking about, Strix is great with everything. So it kind of lets you go into black. So uh, Tonos with Strix. So if you just like play Tonos, and then uh, like he can double up your Strix, which is kind of nice. Uh, I mean, I get that that's super man that's super yeah. mana intensive, but like <laughs> if you're in those, if you're playing that type of grindy effect anywhere where you're like trying to spam tokens with Psy, you're trying to make uh, bigger uh, and more tokens with uh, Retrofitter Foundry. Like Retrofitter Foundry alone, even without Psy, means that. For the same cost, for uh, four mana across the table, you can just spam two tokens. Um, yeah, I think... I'm which is also pretty good. Foundry on, our, on our list, uh, to, but we did talk about what it does. I actually think that card's going to be interesting, too. I mean, it's a one-drop, which is competing in Chalice decks, but um, it's a it does a lot of stuff. Um, well, it's a one-drop, and so it's, it's a one, another one of those things where it's like, if you're in that type of deck, like... Anytime you see a one-drop artifact, like uh, Trinket Mage just becomes appealing. Right, and, and a trading post has seen some play as like a thing to like dump all your extra mana into. And yeah, and it's it, if you're looking, sees play, but this is a one-man artifact. Yeah, yeah. It, it, the one thing too is that like if you're looking, like I'm looking at these cards and going, okay, well, I definitely need a density of legends to turn on Mox Amber. And if you go into Esper, that means that. Um, whatchamacallit, Tonos lets you double up all of, like, the uh, spell bombs. So, like, your, like, Nile spell bomb or Pyrite spell bomb or whatever, you can just double up those effects to, like, just draw two. So you just have, like, a bunch of divinations in your deck if you want them that do other things that have value. Um, and then in terms of, like, other legends that you can play, like, well, if you're already in a bunch of artifacts and want legends, like, Tezzeret Agent of Bolas is, like, a pretty good look. You know, yeah, Tezzeret and so it's like Tezzeret okay, well, is waiting to be busted. I think like it just, you know, it, you can just win. <laughs> yeah, like Tezzeret and Sai, like uh, Tezzeret plusing to find more artifacts to make more Thopters just works really well when Tezzeret like has a, an almost an immediate ultimate that just like domes them for a bunch after you can swing or whatever. Um, well, Strix just enables it, so like, he, like Strix just gives you time. Let me let um, me introduce my friend Chalice of the Void, and then you can build your deck, Phil. <laughs> well, with with the thing with Chalice is that like if you're in the market for artifacts, you can just play shit that beats up on Chalice. You know, no, I'm, I'm t what I'm telling you like, is you have to play Chalice <laughs> in that kind of deck. You're, you're oh, so oh, 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 I'm I'm saying that like if you are interested in the retrofitter foundry like I am, and then shit like Nile Spellbomb to like, you know, if if every deck is just going to be revolving around a bunch of graveyard shenanigans, whether you're uh, a Delve deck or a Reanimator deck, that like. An incidental spell bomb just can like blank their Gurmax, you know. Inside? It's like I have to buy some of these because I, it's such. A, I've been playing in arena and it's it's so fun. It's so good and it's it's already a four of in one of the best uh, standard decks and it just showed up in the uh, KCI deck yeah. at the Pro Tour. But I think that there is just going to be like a side deck that is going to have a different game plan from Affinity and just not straight up lose to artifact hate. Uh, I gotta, we gotta hurry up here and, and closing. I'm getting a little long. Eureka, Eureka, the, yeah, oh, word, just word, word. it's my own fault. It's work day. Eureka, the tiger's shadow. One blue, black, legendary creature, human ninja, commander ninjutsu.
for blue and a black, you may return an unblocked attacker, unblocked attacker you control to hand. Put it, put this card onto the battlefield from your hand or from the command zone tapped and attacking. Obviously, there's no command zone in Legacy. I'm just reading the text. Uh, her text is, whenever a ninja you control deals combat damage to a player, reveal the top card of your library and put that card into your hand. Each opponent loses life equal to that card's converted mana cost, and she is a 1-3. Now... There, there have been ninja decks that have been tried in Legacy uh, a number of times because a lot of them are blue and a lot of them draw cards. Does this push? The only the there are like there are, extra. There are only like nine ninjas that exist, and the only other playable one is Ninja of the Deep which Hours. Which does which? So this is redundant with Ninja of the Deep Hours because it is a uh, because it also draws you a card, right? There are. Yeah, Ninja of the Deep Hours just draws a card. This one reveals it and domes them. Um, I think like they, they, they essentially do the same thing. And so you have to be like looking at it going is the fact that either it's a one, three or because it domes them for a bunch, make it better than Ninja, the deep hours. And I think it does in like really interesting deck, deck applications. So one, you need to be playing it with cards that you want, like creatures that you want to be picking up. Um, but so, like, obviously, once again, Strix is very good. Snapcaster is obviously very good. Um, so, like, if you're looking at those cards, but then she also incentivizes you to not be playing a deck that's soft to Wasteland because you're going to want to be... Ca you're casting her, and then you want to be recasting the thing that you picked up. So you want to be using... A, like, she's a mana-intensive engine. Right. Uh, so I, I would see her in a deck that's, like, playing a lot of basics and is strong against Wasteland. Uh some people are like, yeah, you can just like stack your deck, put an Emrakul on top, and like dome them for sixteen. <laughs> that's not you can and, do like, that with, cute, with uh, you know like freaking uh, dusk dusk mantle seer a lot easier. It is interesting that she okay. So if you're assuming you're gonna play this in a deck with Ninja the Deep Hours, which is a which is a four mana card, if that and that you're gonna have four of those in your deck, it's not like you're gonna be well. Well, you get to Ninjutsu it for two. So Ninja the Deep Hours right, is right, two right, mana card. It's a converted mana cost for this card is four. So it's not like you're playing. Oh like yeah, my yeah, first yeah, thing yeah. It's like, well, how much? How much? What are the mana costs in your deck, right? But and but you know, Ninja Deep Hours is four. This is a three or more of them, and like you'll two is not nothing to dome someone for. Well, in my mind, like the best cards to pair up with uh, the Tiger Shadow here, instead of trying to like get cute and playing shit that you're never going to be able to cast, like Emrakul to have the the dream of doming them for 16. Instead, you just play them with, like, you play, like, the good blue-black cards. It's like, well, if you reveal a Gurmag off the top, you dome them for seven. If you reveal a, a, a Murderous Cut off the top, you dome them for five, you know? Like, she, she almost, like, has the thing where, like, she's, like, opposite of Bob, where Bob incentivizes you to play with low CMCs. She incentivizes you to play with high CMCs that have those types yeah. of cost reductions. So I think her deck-building applications are good. And I think she is playable because I think there's enough good creatures that are worthwhile to pick up, like Strix and Snapcaster, that I could see her. Uh, she doesn't have any. She has no seeing play. On her own. So you like Strix is a good card with her because Strix will go through, be unblocked, and then you ninjutsu her in, and you get. You, but you only do one damage, and you get one card. And if they're if they have a Gurmag Angler in play, you're not attacking with this again. <laughs> and, <laughs> No, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of things like, you know, you can, you like flash in your click or something, right, right, right. steal their thing, attack, get this, pick up the click, like, you know? I'm just saying that, like, like, it's not like, does Ninja Deep Hours have evasion? No. Like, they don't have evasion. I think that's the biggest problem because... Well, they don't have evasion, but you're only ninjutsuing on a creature that's right. unblocked to begin with. Right. You know? But, um, 
uh, my feeling is always that uh, good stuff beats synergy. And while the synergies here are good, the good stuff is just going to get in the way, if that makes sense. I want this deck to be good. I think the card to think about is Aether Vial, because if you're going to be picking up a number of creatures, the mana intensiveness to get them back into play is going to, and then with the ninjutsu cost and all this stuff, you got a lot going on. Um, and I think Aether Vial might be a way to, to move this deck around. But I think it's something to watch out for. I think people will try it. it it's... Yeah, I I look at this card and I like I don't think Ninja the Deep Hours is is going to be paired alongside it because I think you're you're going to be like too ninja dense in certain hands, but I could see this card as just like another value engine that lets you rebuy your snapcasters or rebuy your strix or your clicks or So does you it know, get played in anything. in like a mirror match where there's fewer blockers? Like these Grixis control decks have four strix, four snapcaster, two Gurmag angler. Is, do you ever consider bringing this in as like, you know, I'm going to remove your blocker and then start doming, like, this is my way I win. It's it's also one of those things where once somebody knows that you have that card in your deck, you can bluff attacks too. Yeah. You know, because they're going to go, oh, how bad is it for me if they get to pick this card up, draw a card, hit me for whatever that is, and then also get to replay this card, like I should probably block. You know, like, it adds a lot of dimensions to the game where even if you don't have it, you can play as though you do. And if it's really bad for them that they don't, uh, they don't block. Like, if you want them to block, you can play as though you have it and get them to block. And if they don't block, then if you do have it, they just get punished. And if they don't, well, then you just got in for damage. So it's like, especially like if you're in the thing where it's like, I want them to block my Strix. Like, you want your Strix to trade off anyway. You can't get so like, down on cards at all with Strix, which is why it's a dumb card. Right. And then the fact that like it's also blue, so like the 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 obviously the floor of it being pitchable is like sure, you know, it's like Yeah. And it's not like you're gonna be playing it as a four of, you know, you like you need to have other things on the table first. But I think there's enough good value cards in the format in those colors that uh would make it an interesting inclusion. I know some people are very high on it. Some people think it's garbage. Uh, I think it is playable. I'm just curious if people will take the time to find the room for we it. We talked about Lord Windgrace last time. I was going to put up Zancha, but I just reread it. We're not going to talk about Zancha. And from there, we lost a little bit of the last bit of audio, but that was it. So have a good week, everybody.